Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Before we get to our Executive Vice President, Reverend Jason Gallion, preaching The Wind Still Blows, I want to let you know about something else that is still happening around Indianapolis on September 9th and 10th. Mid-America Revival Conference is happening on September 9th and 10th, 2021 at Calvary Tabernacle. And the speaker this year is just incredible. Of course, our pastor and president, Reverend Joshua B. Carson, will be speaking. Reverend Doug White will be speaking. Uh, Involved in a panel discussion moderated by Reverend Gary Keller is uh, team couples here. So we've got Reverend and Mrs. Aaron and Cindy Bounds, Reverend and Mrs. Tim and Stacy Gaddy, Reverend and Mrs. Jason and Valerie Staten on a new little panel discussion edition for this year's Mark Conference. It's going to be an incredible time. We also have Reverend Scott Graham, Reverend James Wilson, and Reverend Wayne Huntley. You do not want to miss this incredible conference, Mid-America Revival Conference, still happening September 9th and 10th, 2021, right now. The wind still blows. Welcome, our executive vice president, Brother Jason Gallion, we love you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Uh, Brother Turner's a he's a jerk. Start crying like a baby up there for a few seconds. Man, let me compose myself. Please forgive me. That's not how you should approach a pulpit with tears in your eyes and and uh, emotions coursing through your mind. And and uh, thank you for those kind words. And uh, but please let us not dwell on those. In Jesus' name. Turn with me to Proverbs the thirtieth chapter, verse four. It's always an honor to stand behind this pulpit. It's one of my favorite places to preach in the world. Uh, there's no other place that I would rather be at any given moment than here at IBC Chapel. I think you'll find yourself, you seniors especially in the years to come, maybe even just the weeks to come after graduation, that you will have moments of reflection. And those moments of reflection, no doubt, will be of classrooms, uh, will be of outings, gatherings of friends. But there will be very poignant moments of reflection that will bring you straight to this place right here, this chapel. And those moments will be times where you were on your knee in some unsaid pew or, or maybe in an altar, uh, someplace that only you could identify by coming back here and pointing to that spot where God changed your life and did something truly amazing. And then, and then I hate to say it like this, but there will be moments where your spirit will long that if only I could get back to one more chapel service, if only I could get back to one more prayer meeting that I could gather together with my peers and my friends and my family and I could pray one more time. I would be encouraged then. I I could make it through this trial then. And those are sad moments and moments where you realize how lonely ministry truly is. And you will have times where you'll, you'll think, oh, if I only knew what I had when I had it. But sometimes you truly don't know what you have until you lose it. And so I'll tell you this, never stop praying, but cherish every moment together at Indiana Bible College because regardless of how you feel in this moment right now whether you have senioritis which I 
I pray that you don't. Whether you have freshmanitis, which that would be strange if you did, but you're wanting to get out of this place and you're ready to go and you are done and you're finished and, and there's something inside of you that's changing how you think and respond to people, I promise you this, there'll be a time where you'll say, man, if, if I could have gotten back to that chapel. So cherish these moments. I, I ask you, cherish these moments and pray for each and every one of you. I know God has got great things in store for your life, especially you seniors and all of you, whether you choose to come back next year to Indiana Bible College or God takes you someplace else. I pray the blessing of God upon you, that you do his perfect will. Because that's the idea that we're trying to convey to every one of you. Do the perfect will of God. Whatever that looks like. Hope you stay for four years. I hope you stay for five years. Hope some of you just keep coming back and you never leave. I hope every one of you seniors just feel convicted and say, I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life because we would absolutely love that. But that's not healthy for you and it's not healthy for us. But you will be missed. And so publicly, I'll say thank you to every senior that set the example of leadership. Thank you to every senior that helped change the, the spiritual climate of this place. Thank you. Thank you. You will be missed. But I believe this. I believe there are juniors. I believe there are sophomores. And I believe there are freshmen that are ready to step up and say, I'll lead with excellence next year. Amen. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. Thank you, Brother Turner, for uh, your excellence in leadership, Brother and Sister Turner. Thank you so much for all that you give and you have done this semester. I know God's hand is upon them and he's been leading them and guiding them. And I thank them for their work this time. Amen. Proverbs 30 and 4. Now, we can get into a theological debate. In verse 1, we could. Is it Solomon? Is it not Solomon? Who is this guy? I don't know, Brother Kilman. It's one of those great mysteries, probably, that will be figured out. You may have an idea already. Possibly it was Solomon that said these famous words. But let's look at this scripture, this verse. It says, Who hath ascended into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? And who hath bound the waters in a garment? And who hath established all the ends of the earth? Now here's the question that is above all questions. What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. I want to preach a simple message about the wind. The wind still blows. Can we one more time just lift our hands and close our eyes and ask the Spirit of the Lord to come into this place and minister to the need that we have in our heart. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, your strength. Pray, God, that your anointing would settle upon this place. Pray, God, that you would do a work that only you can do. We need you, O oh Lord. One more time, we need you. Pour out a blessing. Pour out a spirit that would push away any confusion. Your spirit would push away any doubt and any fear. Pray, God, that we would see and understand who we are and what you've called us to do in this hour. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you for all that you've done. Everyone said, in the name of Jesus. Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. My wife and I love to camp. We, and I married a good woman, not just because of this, but she's a good woman because she's just a good woman. But, uh, but she loves to camp, believe it or not. And that means not sleeping in a hotel for a weekend getaway or a nice, beautiful motorhome or travel trailer. She'll sleep in a tent, which that just warms my heart. There's nothing greater than, 
than going out in the middle of the woods and sleeping in a tent at night and listening to the sounds. Everyone that thinks that the country is so quiet, you've obviously lived in a city all your life and have never been in the country because it is deafening loud. Because when you get out in the middle of nothingness, all you hear is everything. Every little bird and insect. And, and my goodness, it's overwhelming sometimes how loud it is. And especially at night here in southern Indiana on a cold fall night, Brother Sleva, when you begin to hear the coyotes start to howl and they start answering one another. That's a really cool sound. There was one night my boys and I were down south of Martinsville, Dean, and we could hear coyotes. There were two packs of them calling to each other on the ridges down in Morgan Monroe, and we got out of the tent, and we walked around and just listened to those coyotes, and we decided that we were going to try our hand, and so we, we called back to them, and they responded, which was really cool, and uh, so we spent a few moments just howling at the moon, I guess you could call it, but I enjoy sleeping in a tent. I'll never forget that one weekend, though. The Chandlers, Brother and Sister Anderson, Josh and Crystal Anderson, our family, we decided that we were going to do the camp out of all camp outs. And so we got away for the weekend and we went down to one of our favorite spots and set up our tents. And boys decided they wanted to rough it by themselves. So we had our family tents and, uh, and the boys went way away from us and, and they put their own tent in their little desired area. I thought I'd raise them right, but apparently I didn't raise them perfect, I guess. And, uh, they forgot to do one thing that you're always supposed to do when expecting rain, and that is to do what? Yeah, you trench it all the way around your tent. We didn't really expect bad weather. We expected a little bit of rain, but what we got is not what we expected, and it was terrifying. Something happened that evening. We began to notice that while we were out by the fire and cooking, that things started coming out of the leaves and the ground, and it was these things called salamanders. I'd never really experienced salamanders like that before. And my first encounter with one is I was sitting by the fire. I don't even know what I was doing, probably whittling on a stick because that's what you do while you're camping. And I saw something doing this number by my leg, and I looked, and it was a salamander that was at least 12 inches long, coal black with spots. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I couldn't help myself. I'd never been that close. And I picked it up, and it was big old flat, had shiny black. It was beautiful. And uh, so we, we, we just carried him around for a little bit, and then we turned him loose and let him go about his business. And then it got worse even because salamanders begin to come out all over the place. We went over to the Chandler's tent, and Sister Chandler started screaming like someone tried to murder her. And uh, so we all run over there, and she's standing in front of her tent, terrified to go in because the tent is covered. And I'm, I promise you, this is not a lie. My wife, there were hundreds of salamanders of different sizes all over their tent. For a moment there, I thought, what, what's, what's ha is this the apocalypse that's about to take place? The world is going to be destroyed. There were salamanders everywhere, on the trees, on anything that was higher off the ground than normal. They were just climbing up out of the cover of leaves and dirt, salamanders everywhere. That should have been a warning for us to pack up and go home immediately. We... Uh, we we didn't, we just, uh, I don't know what that was, but it was funnier than what I said. <clears throat> Please share. Oh, yeah, it should have been, yeah, that's right. Sure, sure. I, thought, I thought it was those girls over there, those two twins or something. I didn't know who it was. 
I know is my wife. She always says things funnier than I do. So we went to bed that night, and the wind started blowing. And it started blowing, and it kept blowing. And it started blowing so much that it sounded like a train that was moving through our tent. My wife and I are right next to each other, less than a foot apart. And she wakes me up, and she's screaming as loud as she can because we can't hear each other. And she is shouting, are we going to be okay? I answer her in the way that every husband answers their wife in that moment of fear. Absolutely, we're fine. Not knowing whether or not that was true. Not knowing if, if, if we're going to make it out of this tent alive. We're fine. We're all right. We're hollering back and forth. She's like, what is going on? I said, I don't know. I think we're in a storm. That was my conclusion. Brilliant deduction, the master of the obvious. We're in a storm. The wind was blowing. The tent was starting to lean over. I hear people running, and I unzip the tent and look out. And the Chandlers and the Andersons are running towards their vans, and they're jumping in the van. And my wife said, should we go and get in the car? I said, no, we're, we're fine. This is, just go back to sleep. We'll be all right. <clears throat> wind is coming down, and water is raging through the camp. I hear the boys start shouting, and I look over, and and so I run over to them, and I'm like, are you guys okay? And they're like, Dad, there's a river. We're floating. And I unzip their tent, and sure enough, they're floating in their tent on their sleeping pads. And, and uh, so I, I start digging a trench to divert the water around, and the water drains out of their, their tent. And my wife said, I'm going to the van. And so all of the women pile in the van. And you know what all the guys do? Stand out in the rain talking about, hey, what, what do you think this is? What should we do? Should, you think we're going to be okay? <laughs> you think maybe we should go get in the van with the girls? No, we're not getting in the van with the girls. We'll just we'll act like we know what we're doing. And uh, Hey, maybe we should build a fire and make breakfast. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> How about we eat right now? And, and so the wind is blowing, and little did we know that that night there were multiple tornadoes that touched down just a few miles from where we were at. And it is an absolute miracle that we survived and lived to tell about it. That wasn't the only time I've been in high winds. I don't know how fast those winds are blowing at that moment. But I do know that I've been in winds of over 75 mile an hour in a tent. It was when I was in Alaska and we were out on the Kenai Peninsula on a caribou hunt. And uh, the pilot was supposed to come back and pick us up that day and uh, he didn't show up. And what we didn't know is the winds were starting to pick up in the pass. And those winds were clocked over 70 mile an hour so he couldn't fly. And that night, those winds hit us, 70-mile-an-hour winds. And I remember lying in that tent, and the top of that tent is touching my face and bouncing up and down. And we had no place to go. There wasn't a car. There wasn't a house. There was nothing for hundreds of miles. And we just kept saying, in the name of Jesus, Lord, keep your hand upon us. I'm going to write that company that made that tent because they made a great tent. <laughs> those poles lifted back up when the wind stopped blowing, and there was not one rip in that fabric. It was an amazing, it's a Bomb-proof tent, I guarantee you. But wind is kind of an interesting element, is it not? We see in the Bible that there are many references of wind, the sound of wind, the type of winds. Sometimes the wind that we see referenced in Scripture is a very gentle wind that blows in the evening sunset. And other times it's a roaring tempest, like a whirlwind that begins to rush forth. But wind appears in the Bible over and over. The wind first appeared when the flood came and God 
sent that wind and it began to trouble waters. But then he remembered Noah. And what did he do? He sends a wind to pass over the earth and all the waters begin to assage. A mighty wind which openeth a path through the Red Sea so that the children of Israel can walk through and that wind pushed back the waters to the north and to the south. The children of Israel walked through on dry ground. That wind that kept them also protected them because when Pharaoh and his army made it into that sea, what did God do? He allowed those wind to subside and those waters come crashing in. And so we find that many times wind not only helps and aids but protects. David, as he marched to battle against the Philistines, as he was marching unsure of whether God was going to deliver or bring about a victory, he heard the going on of a wind in the mulberry trees. A wind began to rustle. And David felt like that was the promise of God, that God was to give them victory. It was a great wind in the wilderness which smote the four corners of the house that Noah's children were in. And those walls fell and they were killed instantaneously. We see that a young man by the name of Ezekiel steps out on a valley of dry bones. And the question is asked, will these bones prophesy? And in that valley of dry bones, Ezekiel begins to call forth and says, come forth the four winds. Oh, breathe and breathe upon those that were slain, that they may live and they stood up and their feet an exceeding great army. And so the wind brought forth according to the will of God, dry bones. Winds appear for the very last time in the Bible during the interlude of judgments which fell upon the earth when the seven seals were opened. John saw these winds as four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth nor over the sea nor move any tree. And so wind is a very powerful thing that's always mentioned throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. My mind began to wonder when I read about the wind, and I thought, what does these winds mean? The four corners, the four types of wind. I began to search through Scripture, and I wanted to know, what does wind mean today, and does it mean today what it meant back then? And I began to notice that something began to come out. You see, the north wind is one that is stated many times in Scripture, and it is not a favorable wind that blows. Because every time we hear reference of the north wind, we see the judgments of God befalling upon his people. It's a wind of retribution. It's a wind of punishment. As a matter of fact, the prophets constantly spoke of the north wind, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and others. And they begin to foretell the judgments that were coming upon Israel. The north wind that blows brings the judgments of God. It's refined to as the rod of God's anger. And we see many times even in the New Testament that the north wind blows and we find that very fatal ship that was about to make its way from Malta and take a man by the name of Paul to his judgment. And the northeast wind began to blow and ran them aground the wind of judgment. I begin to think about what wind means. And wind is that complicated idea that, that just seems to go and do of its own will and own mind. You can't control the wind. You can't manipulate the wind. You can't stop wind. You really can't even harness wind. There's many times we drive to Chicago and you see those thousands windmills just 
turning, turning, turning. Anybody drive to Chicago in 65? Have you ever been through there at night? Remember the first time I ever drove through there at night, I thought aliens were invading this earth and all these blinking red lights, I couldn't figure out what they were. But in the daytime I saw it and it was even more confusing because there have been times we've driven to Chicago and not one of those windmills are turning. The wind is blowing, but they're not moving. I reached out to someone, I said, why would they have windmills that never turn when the wind blows? And an engineer told me, they said, well, because the wind is such a tricky business to harness. (laughs) The the wind is something you can't really predict a lot of times. And so we have braking mechanisms installed in those windmills. Because if the wind blows too much, it'll break them. If it blows in different directions, it will twist them and bend them and cause them to break. And so we lock them down. And so even mankind has known that even the wind, though it has power, it can't be controlled. It can't be harnessed completely. You can use it when it blows, but that's all that you can do. You see, the wind is confusing, but oh, hear this. The winds of judgment will always blow. Let me just tell you some stories. I I wish I could get into detail, but maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just blanket statement this. Because let me tell you what happens when you begin to do against the will of God in your life. God will send judgment. What happens when you disobey the ordinances of God and you disobey the commandments of God? The wind of judgment will blow. It blows as sure as anything. I've watched men and women that walked into a Pentecostal church. I I was there one night when he prayed through the Holy Ghost and turned his life around. But the wind of judgment still blew in his life because a couple years later he had to answer for the crimes that he committed and went back to prison as a believer that had completely changed who he was and what he did but the winds of judgment blew even in spite of God's grace and mercy it would seem in his life so the north wind is a wind of judgment let me just say this your sins will find you out my mom used to say that but but how do you know that nobody knows oh your sins will find you out but but how do you know that sins will find me out let me just say this I've watched Young people and old people alike come to church and winds have been blowing in their life and they've come to an altar and some have repented. They have repented simply to keep the wind of judgment from blowing against them. There was no true remorse in their heart. There was no reason for them to pour themselves out other than they didn't want their sins to catch up with them. Because as soon as that would blow past, they would go right back to the life that they lived. I've watched young people come in and, and, and just confess everything. Oh, I'm sorry I did this, and, and here's what happened. Please, please have mercy on me, and, and mercy is given, but only to find out later as God begins to reveal sin after sin that it's so much more complicated, and then they have to stand account for their sins. I just want to warn somebody. Be careful about what you're doing because it will catch up with you. Be careful about the life that you live, your inconsistencies and your sins that you have hidden because God will reveal those because the wind, the north wind of judgment will blow. Be careful about extending grace and mercy to someone and and just trying to push things under the rug and trying to say, oh, don't worry, once you come to God, all that is completely forgotten, but you will have to stand account, I promise you, you will stand account because some things the wind of judgment can't cover up, it will be brought to light. I've watched men, I've watched men that have come in and yes, they've repented, but they still had to deal with their broken family that was at home, their marriage that disintegrated, 
They still had to deal with, with uh, lawsuits that were posing against them. They still had to deal with the embezzlement that was coming uh, down the pike. They still had to deal with those issues. I can tell you a story of a pastor that found himself in a little bit of a problem with gambling. And, and so he began to spend money that wasn't his and gamble that away. And though he repented and asked for forgiveness and those men forgave him, those winds of judgment still came. The north wind is a harsh wind. It's a painful wind. It's a wind that causes us to shudder and fear. It's a wind that brings a chill to our bones. It's a wind that some of us keep looking over our shoulder wondering, is that wind going to blow? Will that catch up with me? The only thing I can say is to keep your heart clean. Come to God with a conscience that's purified. Make sure that you live your life according in the light as you do in the dark. Make sure you live with a heart that's set upon doing the will of God because the north wind will blow. Guard yourself from the attack of the enemy. Begin to look at the south wind that blew. The south wind is a pleasant wind sometimes, but it's masked in pleasantry. The south wind represents fair weather and fair sailing, but the south wind is very deceptive and dangerous. Because the south wind is a wind of temptation. In Acts 27, we begin to see that Paul spoke of a south wind that blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. And this ship that was about to sail, the south wind blew. And Paul said, I don't think we should continue on in our journeys. I just perceive that, that this, what we're about to do, is going to be with problems and even shipwreck. And there is going to be issues that come, but yet the south wind blew. And so the captain of the ship decided that since the winds from the north had ceased, that south wind was blowing. It was time to sail on. But if he would have been a sea captain of any repute, if he would have been a man that had studied the winds, he would have known that this south wind was a wind of deception. I look at that scripture in Acts 27 and I begin to think of the many times where I see men and women that feel that they have attained their purpose based upon what they desire God to do in their life. They had attained their purpose based upon what they want and what they want to see happen only to realize that it's deception that has caused them to walk down a path that is dangerous to the outcome of their life and their ministry. Be careful, IBC, of the south winds that blow. Be careful in those moments where your desire begins to push you to a place where you ignore the warning of the man of God and ignore the warning of the word of God and you decide to set out and chart your own path because that is a wind of deception. But you have to go back to the word of God and you can't base the outcome of where your life is destined to end up on what you feel, but you must base it upon something that is solid that you can stand upon. It's not on feeling alone because your feelings will deceive you and you can walk into services and lift your hand and feel the presence of God thinking that approves of your lifestyle that you're living but that's not what God is trying to do because you've deceived yourself and you've allowed deception to enter into your heart and you've got to get into the word of God and establish what you know is right and what you know is truth. It's in God's word so don't let deception lead you down a path of destruction. Because what the enemy would love to do is he would love to get you to a place where you are deceived by the southern wind. You are pulled aside by temptation. Oh, but hear me, you've got to get to a place where you know who you are and what you believe and what God has set before you. Don't let the enemy deceive you based on your feelings or emotions. Because Brother Turner, how many times have you sat in the office and I sat in the office 
When that young man or lady walks in and says, I'm in love, it's happened a lot this semester. Somebody said we had 17 engaged. Is that true? Is that true? What, 19? 20? Who's got 21? Anybody 23, 24, 25, 30, 32? No, 20 people have 21, somebody we don't know about. Who is it? Who's about to get engaged? Raise your hand. No, don't. Why don't we just start calling people out that we think are about to be engaged? You want to? That'll be fun, won't it? Uh, we got a lot of suspicions, don't we? There's a lot of people that we're thinking it's going to happen to. What if it's the most unlikely couple ever? What if it's that couple that just started dating a couple weeks ago? Wouldn't that be funny? Oh, that would be dangerous, wouldn't it? Please, 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 make sure that you get good counsel before you ask that question because that question has the ability to change your entire life, does it not? But how many times have we felt one thing? We felt it, oh, I'm in love, I know it's gonna happen. I, 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 everything's perfect, we never had an argument or disagreement, have you ever heard him say that? Never, we haven't had any disagreement. We've, we've been together two weeks and we, we see the same on everything. It's like my soulmate, I, this is the person I've prayed for all my life and, and uh, oh, it's, it's wonderful. Have you met the family? Well, well, no, I haven't met the family yet. Uh, uh, well, what's your favorite color? I, I, don't, I don't know, but everything is so perfect. Uh, where, where, where she like to eat what's her favorite restaurant well I'm not sure what her favorite restaurant is but but it's a match made in heaven we're we're identical in all that we do and it's just we we just agree and oh isn't it wonderful isn't young love wonderful where you get to that place where everything just seems so perfect but two or three weeks go by then you have your first disagreement it's devastating isn't it you realize that wow we we have nothing in common who is this person like, what is wrong with them? Why, why am I even in this relationship? I, I, I can't believe that we're even talking. You are the complete opposite of who I am. You have no goals and vision. You're the most unspiritual individual I've ever been around. That match that was made in heaven, your emotions got the best of you, didn't it? You see, what you thought was love was maybe something else that started with L. <laughs> And what you thought was right was only confused because you didn't allow yourself to see what was true and what was standing in front of you. You just allowed your emotion to lead you and guide you. And we laugh about those moments between girl and guy. But let me tell you something. What's encroaching upon the church is young men and young women that do not know truth and they do not know the word of God. But all they know is their emotional context. And when they can walk into a service and be moved to tears, they think everything's fine, that I can walk out of this church and go right back to the same life that I left, but that's not the way it works in the house of God. What that is is a south wind that blows. You've got to get in his word. You've got to be rooted and grounded in a foundation that does not waver with winds of changing doctrine, that is not swayed by the wind that blows of a new idea or a concept. We have to know who we are. Don't let wind blow you off course. Don't let a southern temptuous wind Entice you to go a direction that no one else is going. I've had too many conversations with friends of mine that were pastors or, where, where they had a new revelation and a new idea. They interpreted scripture completely different than anyone else had ever seen it before. And they're bent on this and they're saying, I've got something here. This is the direction I've got to go. 
I had a man tell me one time, I reached out to him over and over. He, he walked away from what I believe was truth and he cashed in his license and, 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 and that's debatable whether or not he should have done that. And, and he said, I, I, there's a direction I've got to go. And, and I called him and I said, are you sure you want to walk down this path? You know what he told me? It's embarrassing. He said, I, w- I was sitting down in a, in a place. I, I don't know if I can say it. He said, I was sitting in a place, and he said, and, uh, you know, I, I'd read my Bible over and over again and, and wasn't getting anything. He said, but then I felt something. The Spirit of God. And it began to speak things to me that I'd never heard. And I realized that this is God confirming that I'm going to walk away from everything that I knew that was true. Oh, hear me, he went, went to one of our, not, not just one, but two of our institutions or Bible schools. Graduated from both of them. He walked away with degrees. He was an intellect. He, he was a smart man. He was trying to build a church, and he had been successful in the building of a church. But he got to that place where he said, I'm not going the direction that you're going. And he walked away. Oh, I wish I could tell you that his church is thriving, that his ministry is flourishing, but he's not. He's completely backslidden and walked away from the presence of God. Oh, hear me, that wind of deception and temptation will pull you to a place where you think this is right. It feels good. It's correct. Oh, but how many times were the Kilman have we seen at camps where that young man or young lady that all they do is dance every service and shout every service is the very young man or young lady that walks back to homosexuality or walks back to a lifestyle destruction because it's not all about the emotional context. It's about what you know and what the Word of God states. So even if the wind blows, you better make sure you know which way that direction is blowing from. You better make sure that you've got your moorings set. You need to make sure you're on the trajectory to find out where God is and who he is and what his plan for your life. Don't let somebody push you away from what truth is. Be careful of the south wind that blows in your life because really, really the wind that blows, we can manufacture it for a time. We can fool people with winds that blow, right? We can deceive them. Where's that fan at? Help me out, Jill. Oh, isn't it right? Sometimes you walk into a church service and, and it may not feel completely correct at first, right? Uh, something was a little off. Uh, uh, it seemed like the praise team didn't quite connect with you. Your spirit maybe wasn't quite right. But, but oh, let them start singing a little bit and the wind starts blowing. Oh, feel that? Oh, yeah. The comfort zone. Oh, yeah, there it is. Whoo! You feel that, guys? Didn't feel so good when I walked in here. It was a little weird, a little off. Things said a little different. Come on, Brother Kilman, how many times have we been in places like that? But, oh, somebody starts getting up there and they sing the right songs. Oh, oh you worship leaders know what it's all about. Some of you preachers know what it's about, too. There's, there's times you don't have to pray and you don't have to read your scripture. You, you don't even have to have a good word. You just say the right phrases and the right things and boy, you can get people to stand up and respond. Oh, you know that worship set because you've seen it done every time. We don't even really know what the words are that we're singing. But oh, we know that feeling because woo it makes the goosebumps stand up and oh, there's that wind. There it is. Oh, isn't that refreshing? Wow, wind's blowing. You know what we're doing? We're manufacturing the wind. Because the moment that you step out of being in front of that false simulated emotionalism, you feel nothing and it changed nothing. 
It didn't affect your life. It, it didn't bring about true repentance. It, it didn't get you to a place where you found yourself at an altar, not just because it was the thing to do or the place to be because everyone else was doing it, but you found yourself at an altar where nobody knew that you went to that altar and you begin to sacrifice your life. You pulled out things that shouldn't have been there and you, you killed them on that altar and then you buried them by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that altar was an altar that made a mark on you that you can't go back to that lifestyle. Oh, there was no false wind or tempestuous wind that was blowing, but you gotta be careful. You can preach Jesus, but if you don't preach Jesus with the right heart and with the right spirit and with the right anointing, it'll change nobody's life. You can sing about Jesus, but if you're not prayed up and living right, it may affect them for a moment, but it'll lead them right back to disaster that they came out of. We gotta make sure that the wind that blows is that same wind that blew on the day of Pentecost. We can't manufacture the wind. We can't let somebody put false wind in front of us. But what we need is an old-fashioned move of the Holy Ghost. Come on, I don't want just a wind. I don't want just a breeze that blows by. I want the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody lift your hands right now. Somebody just say, God, help us to know, help us to feel, help us to be in truth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we don't want a south wind. Lord, we don't want a north wind. We don't want just a wind, but we want your spirit. We want your spirit to blow on us. Oh, mighty God, mighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We go on because now we have to deal with the east wind. The east wind is not a favorable wind because the east wind represents affliction and trial. It was the east wind that God taught Jonah, taught Jonah compassion. He walked into a city he didn't want to be at, preached to a people he hated. But he simply did it out of obedience to God. Give him a pat on the back, right? He preached, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. But in his heart, he was wanting God to destroy them. Because when they turned from their wicked ways, when they fasted and prayed for 40 days, what happened? God had compassion and forgave them. And then we find Jonah setting out in the wilderness. and He's mad at God. I can't believe God gave him mercy. God, what are you thinking? These are wicked people. God, you, you should have... You should have burnt them up with fire. And God let that wind to blow. That wind began to blow. A vehement east wind began to blow. Burnt up the very bush that he was under. Burnt up his protection from the sun. Smote him so vehemently that he passed out because that wind and that sun began to beat down upon him. And God had to bring him to the lowest place by the east wind. I wish I could preach a good message to you and tell you that Jesus loves you so much that your life is going to be perfect. That if you fulfill his will, that there will never be an east wind that blows. But I can't preach that to you. Because there's going to be east winds that blow and you don't understand why they're blowing in on your life. There's going to be moments where you're in a place where you don't understand. God, is this your judgment? Am I wrong? Am I out of the will of God? 
Let me just tell you this. The will of God doesn't always look like the perfect plan for your life. And the will of God doesn't always make sense. And the will of God is not always the easy route to take. The will of God sometimes is the thing that you dread the most. And what you don't want to do. And what you could never see yourself doing. I've learned a long time ago that I'll never tell God what I'm going to do. And what I won't do. I learned that. I didn't learn it easy though. I had to learn it the hard way. I had to learn it the difficult way. Because you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to be in a place where we'll give our life to Him. And when we're wrestling, saying, God, I, I don't want this. God, I'll do this, but it's not what I want to do. God, God, maybe that's just like us in Jonah saying, I'll preach to these people and get them to a place of repentance, but I still hope you'll consume them and burn them up. You know why the Bible talks about to love your enemies? You know why the Bible talks about that you're supposed to love people even greater than you love yourself? It's because God wants to get you to a place where you stop acting like Jonah and start wanting God to do certain things in your ministry and in your life, and then when God doesn't do what he wants to do, you, you just pout and get angry. But let me tell you this, the path that God takes you on will be wrought with trial and tribulation and the enemy will come against you and try to attack you and destroy you but let me tell you this also greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world because God will make a way where there seems to be no way and God will bring you through every trial it's not the trial that you fear it's giving up in the moment of that trial and not trusting in the perfect plan of God so when you step out of Bible school and the door doesn't open up that doesn't mean you get angry at God and say why the east wind you trust him even when the wind is blowing and realize God will bring me through because I'll tell you what I knew it was the will of God but the most difficult time of my life is when I knew that I was in God's perfect will because I should have given up my wife and I should have walked away years ago we should have quit pastoring we went through trials I can't even begin to describe them to you for four years, the devil tried to kill us. For four years. I'm not even making this up. For four years, he came against me personally, attacked against me. He brought accusations. He brought attacks. He tried to destroy my life over and over again. He tried to kill my kids. He tried to kill my wife. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this lie. And we were in the midst of the greatest trial. That eastern wind was blowing and pushing upon us. The only way I can describe it, Brother Kilman, is if it was a fog that would settle in upon us and we couldn't see in front of us and we couldn't see out of it and we would come home from church and we'd fall in that bed and depression was there. It was heaviness that I've never experienced. You know what? You, you just need to get over yourself when you think you're having a roommate problem or, or things are too tough because you don't know what that east wind looks like and God's not wanting you to figure it out or to walk away and abandon ship but what he's wanting you to do is to stay steadfast and trust in him because that's the only way you'll make it through. No, sit down, sit down. You don't even know what you're clapping about. You don't even know what you're uh, applauding because you've never been through a trial. You've never been in a place where you thought you were going to die physically because the enemy had his hand upon your life. You couldn't feel God when you prayed. There were times where I would try to speak in tongues and I couldn't speak in tongues. I'd go up to prayer and I couldn't do nothing but lay on the ground and cry. There was a moment where I even doubted that I had the Holy Ghost. A moment where everything I did was numb, it was dull. I preached, it felt nothing. I, I prayed, I felt nothing. 
I tried to do spiritual things and I didn't feel the direction of God. I would have bailed and left, but I didn't know where to go. Filled out applications for jobs. School was ready just to quit and give up. There's moments in my life I thought, God, you hate me. What's going on? My wife, I thought she was going to lose her mind. But oh, that wind was pushing down upon us. But the only thing that we had was we held on to an idea that God is able to bring us through. God is able to sustain us. Oh, hear me, young person. You're going through the trial right now that you think is the trial of your life. Get ready for when the enemy really pours out his wrath upon you. And when that wind begins to blow because you've got a hold on to something that you can't feel something that you can't even imagine but yet you know the principle the promise that God will never leave me that God will never forsake me that God will never turn us back and God will make a way so when the east wind blows don't get overwhelmed sometimes you just need to rebuke your roommate in private to their face sometimes you need to pray God help me to understand God help me to have more compassion help me to have more love help me to be able to deal with these people you ever worked with a difficult person you ever worked with someone that you couldn't stand have you ever ministered with someone that you didn't like have you ever gone on an MSA trip and you're like man of all the people they had to put me on this MSA trip it's that person let me tell you, these are minor elements when it comes to when the east wind blows in your life. Oh, hear me. When Moses and those plagues came, it was that east wind that blew those locusts into Egypt. That swarm of locusts that came and began to settle upon that land and devoured everything. The east wind is judgment, but here, the last one, the west wind. You see, it's when Moses prayed for Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh just said, please, I'll let you go. Release this. He didn't even know how to pray to God. And Moses began to pray for Pharaoh. And God began to send a west wind. And it began to drive those locusts out. God was allowing his provision. Oh, hear me. When the west wind blows, it's God's grace and mercy. It's God's grace and mercy that begins to minister to the need that is in your life. Oh, I wonder if in the book of Acts, in that second chapter, in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost, was fully come. Oh, I wonder if there wasn't something getting ready in the West. Oh, they were with all in one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. I wonder if that was a westward wind that was blowing, that God was saying, I'm going to have one final breeze that's going to rush through mankind to give them hope to overcome every trial and every temptation and all judgment. I'm going to give them the ability to see that this wind that happened on the day of Pentecost can answer every problem. Oh, I wonder, I wonder if on the day of Pentecost when that wind began to blow, if God was trying to confirm, it doesn't matter what your ancestors have gone through. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter who manufactured what. It doesn't matter what's come against you in trials that you battled yourself. It doesn't matter what seems fake, false, or out of date. You let the Pentecost winds begin to blow. When you get up and preach Jesus, if your life has been consecrated and your heart is right and you surrendered your will to God's will, when you preach Jesus, that wind will blow and people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost but what you've got to realize it's not me but it's him because I can't manufacture the wind 
I can't make the win. I can't even see the win. I, I don't know whence it comes and whence it goes. I don't know how it works or how it operates, but oh, I do know this, that there's been times I've stood behind that pulpit and I had nothing to say and I just begin to rely upon the presence of the Lord. I was conflicted in my spirit. I was battling things in my heart. I had preached and studied and prayed and cried and poured myself and I had a message on paper, but I didn't really know what I was going to say. But when I opened up the Word of God and something just began to stand out right there and I began to open my mouth, I felt that wind begin to blow I believe like it did on the day of Pentecost and it began to move through that congregation the wind still blows come on the wind still changes lives I'll never forget that moment I won't forget it it was a year and a half and we and I've shared this before it was a year and a half and we had not had a move of God in our church a year and a half Brother Kilman, a year and a half, I'd preach my guts out. A year and a half, my wife sang till she couldn't sing anymore. A year and a half, and, and the best response we would get is a couple of people would come and lay on the floor and cry. And that was it. Musicians can come. A year and a half of that. There were times I would, I would literally go home. Was wiped out. I'd crawl on my bed. I'd, I'd just have my suit on. I'd just lay on the bed. I was going to lay down for two, three minutes, you know. And I'd fall asleep, and the next morning I'd wake up, and I'd still be in my suit. Heaviness was on us. But Sleva, we thought, are we in the will of God? Everything that we're trying to do is, is like, it's, it's failing. It's, it's not doing. It's wrong. Everything we tried to push for, it seemed as if everybody else had the answers and ideas. I got depressed going to general conference because everybody that got up there were doing so much better than what I was doing. And they had answers, man. They had programs and plans and structure. And you know what I had? I had depression. I had anxiety. I had fear. <laughs> you know what I had? I had people that were broken and hurt. I prayed. Sister Vaughn, I prayed. God, just give us somebody that's just normal. I prayed that. And you know what God sent us? People that were broken and hurt and depressed and overwhelmed. <laughs> I thought, man, why is everybody else doing everything right and we're doing it all wrong? Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> you know what else hurt? What else hurt is when I saw people that were being promoted that I knew how they lived their life. Let me tell you, that didn't just happen at Bible school. Some of you get so aggravated because the only people that go on MSA trips are the people that you know shouldn't be on MSA trips. And you're looking at them and you're resentment and jealousy and bitterness. And you're saying, why do they promote the bad people? Why do they keep promoting people? And they're not doing it intentionally. I promise you that. But the, the thing is, is you know things about people that we don't know. So you know why they keep being used? It's because you don't say anything. But yet you're the first one that gets bitter and resentful against God because they keep being used. But you just continue to let them walk down that path. And you say things like, well, if, they, if the leadership was spiritual enough, they would discern this. Well, if the leadership was spiritual enough, we wouldn't probably have anybody on that platform. Because let me tell you, what you're going through may not seem like a big idea to you, but it's a big idea to somebody else.
Because every one of us, the only reason why we're on that platform is by the grace and mercy of God. And none of us are spotless. And you're saying things like, well, well, how can they keep getting used? And I kept watching these guys. And, and we're talking. Well, they're having a preached general conference. Don't, don't they know what he... And it's not because we kept our mouth shut either. We, we were talking to our leadership. They don't believe the doctrine. They, they don't believe in the infill of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. And they're preaching general conference. They're not just preaching one service, but two services at one general conference. So, so, so be in your 20s and you're a youth president and watching one of your peers in his 20s get up and preach one of the largest events in the United Pentecostal Church, not just one service, but two services, and you have heard him in private conversation question, I, I don't really think you have to speak in tongues to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, so you think that that's not a big deal, but yet someone going on MSA because they treat people badly is a big deal? Or they said some words they shouldn't have said. I'm not trying to justify their behavior. But let me tell you, when you start looking at others around you and start criticizing and tearing them down and trying to figure out why they keep being used, you just better step back and let God deal with that. You tell what you need to tell. You go to who's in charge and let them know what's going on. And then you just trust God with that. And don't worry about it anymore. You see, that's all I had to offer. God, I was like, God, I'm broken. I'm, I, don't, I don't even know what to do depressed, ready to give up. I don't even know if we even talked about giving up. Did we ever talk about it? I don't think we even talked about giving up, but boy, it was right there. Maybe we were just too dumb. Maybe we were just so dumb. We just thought, this is, this is normal life. You're supposed to suffer and you're supposed to be broke. Oh, I could, I could tell you stories. I, I, I I don't have time. What time is it? I don't have time. So here's what happened. If I share this before, please forgive me. That September, we were remodeling the Sunday school area. And we uh, we built a little area called the, called the Kids Club. And I built a sign and, and it was building a clubhouse. And it was going to be fun. The kids were going to come in and have a, a club. And uh, we were going to pray all these little kids through the Holy Ghost. It was going to be good. What little kids? Well, we only had like four of them. But all of them were going to get the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and we were just going to grow. We were just going to multiply. My wife said, you know what we need? We need a tree in here. And I said, well, I'll, I'll build something that looks like a tree. Because every man, when their wife says something like that, it's a challenge. Well, I'll, I'll build a tree for you. I don't know how to build a tree. She's like, no, 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 I, I, want, I want us to cut down a tree and bring a tree in the church. I'm like, are, are you serious? She said, yeah, yeah, I, I want to cut, cut a tree down and bring it in, and I want you to mount it to the wall and build a little base, and we're going to build a clubhouse there. I didn't think that was a very good idea. And I kept telling her why all these reasons why we shouldn't do that. It would be easier if I just built it at a two-by-four would be and she said, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out and make these big old massive paper leaves and we're going to staple them to it. It's going to be beautiful. How many of you ever had, uh, well, Jordan, you're, you're just recently engaged. You and 21 other people, apparently. Uh, are you engaged? Okay, thank God. Uh, you're married. 
Hallelujah. Maybe you know better than, than George would know. I don't know if George would know this. Uh, but have you ever had your wife or your fiance tell you something that they wanted to do, like a project? Or, and, and you're trying to, like, picture that in your mind? And the picture that you're coming up with is ridiculous? Have you ever had that happen? And you're like, man, I don't, I just, and you're like throwing all these questions saying, are you sure? I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, what? And then, and then she does it. And you're like, oh, my word. That's, that's, I, had no, I had no idea that was going to look that way. You ever done that? Have, has that happened to you yet? It will. <laughs> you guys talk, right? Every once in a while, okay, just check. Um, so I couldn't figure that out. I'm like, this is the reason why we can't. She said, just, here's the thing with a guy. If you, if you challenge them, they'll do anything. Because it, it's, it, both stories, it's about their manhood. So we're like, I'm a man, and I can do this. So he's like, well, oh, that's all right. I didn't, think, I didn't think he'd be able to do it anyways, or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, get the chainsaw. We're, pull that chainsaw out. If you're a man and don't have a chainsaw, you are missing out on a part of manhood that you need in your life. I mean, even if you don't use that chainsaw, but once every 10 years, you need to walk out in that garage and say, that's my chainsaw right there. <laughs> I'll cut something down if I want to. <laughs> Started that thing up, walked out, and she pointed out the tree that she wanted, and it's massive, and so I cut the tree down. And it's in, so September in Alaska is, uh, is the end of fall, really. Maybe this is October in Alaska. Snow falls in October, and it's praise the Lord, sister. And uh, snow falls in October, you Alaskan people, and it's sometimes you get like two or three feet of snow in October. Isn't that exciting? There's probably still snow on the ground right now, isn't there? It's a little depressing. And uh, so I bring this dead tree in, and uh, I mount it to the wall, build a base, and put the sign. It's my wife decorates it, and then we quit. We go home. And uh, the kids are getting the Holy Ghost in there probably. And, uh, really, they're probably climbing on the tree that I put in there thinking, that's awesome. And, and uh, it's about two weeks later, and uh, I'm sitting in my office on a Wednesday night, and I'm studying, and I'm trying to figure out my lesson for the night. And uh, somebody beats on the door. Pastor, pastor, come quick. you got to come now. And I thought, this is what I thought. Somebody ran over a kid in the parking lot. That's, that's the first thing that drove. I thought, somebody's run over a kid in the parking lot. And so I come running out, and when I run out, nobody's there. I can hear him running down the stairs because we have a split-level church. The sanctuary's upstairs, and downstairs all the Sunday school. And I'm like, Sister Wisdom, Sister Wisdom. And I'm like, where do they go? Where is, where is, there's nobody here. I'm like, oh, great. Wednesday Bible study, 30 minutes before church start, and there's not one person here. So I go downstairs, and I can't find anybody down in the fellowship hall. I'm like, hello? And I hear people talking. They're like, Pastor, come in here. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, how bad is this going to be? You know, and I push the door open and there's like 50 people maybe not 30 people 20 people I don't know standing in the super church area and I come walking in and they're all just standing there staring at me and they're like what do you think and I'm like I'm like what what's wrong looking for bodies on the floor no bodies on the floor and they're like look and they point to this tree and uh, the Sunday before uh, we had a normal service and uh, my wife was playing and singing, and 
and I said everyone that would come to the front would just kind of fall on their face and just cry. That's kind of the way it went. And uh, my wife was playing. She's just jamming it out up there. Her, did we have the drummer at that time, or was he set down? No, he was set down. And uh, so and we didn't have the bass player or the guitar, so it was just her. And, um, yeah, that's fun, too. That's another story. I sat down the only musician. Yeah. Well, he had a baby, so. Well, he didn't, but his girlfriend did. Oh, that's another story we'll tell you later. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was a mess. And uh, this isn't being recorded, is it? Oh, it's broadcast? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Can't take that back. And uh, God bless you, though. And uh, a young lady gets up in the middle of that worship service. And she walks up to the front, and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to go and lay down and cry. And uh, she walks up to the front, and uh, the song, I don't even know what song my wife is, and she lifts her hands. And I'm like, wow, that's different. And, uh, and then she starts waving her hands. And then before you know it, she starts doing this number. And it's not even going with the song. It's like she's not even on beat. And she just starts dancing in the front. And I'm just standing there with my mouth open. I'm like, what, what is she doing? It had been a year and a half. No one had ever done that before. Like, what, are, what is she doing? And then somebody else gets up on the other side of the church and walks down the front. And they start dancing. My mind just was blown. I thought, what, what, is, what is happening? And then another person and another person. And before we know it, almost everyone in that little church was in the front. And they were dancing and shouting and praying. I didn't even know what to do. I just started crying and weeping and I was so overwhelmed, and, and they danced and shouted, and, and I'm like, I'm not even going to preach today. I thank you, Jesus. And at the end of that service, I got up, and I talked a little bit, and we closed it down. And we went home that night. We actually went out to the Mexican restaurant that night. And when we went home that night, we just felt like, wow, a weight had been lifted off of our chest. And guess what happened? We were amazed, because when that weight got lifted off, the fog was lifted off. And what we thought wasn't happening actually was happening. Because we began to see people in that church that we never saw. We're like, well, well, look over there. Well, who? I didn't even, oh my word, the church is full. I promise you. We, we thought there was only a few people that would ever come to church. But it was like God just lifted these spiritual blinders off of us. And that church was in, packed out. There were standing room only. We went from eight people and we began to look at it. And we doubled every year. The church doubled know how we did it? We didn't know how we did it. I had no plan. We were teaching Bible studies but we had people come to church that we didn't teach Bible studies to. And we walked away that Sunday and we were like, oh my word, we're in the middle of revival. And so I'm standing down there in the super church and they're going, look at that tree. And I turn and I look at the tree. And there's all those big fake leaves my wife made. But when I look at that tree, that tree is full of leaves. Some of them are just starting to blossom and bud out. A dead tree was covered in brand new leaves all over. They said, Pastor, what do, you, what do you think that means? My mind started racing. I thought, okay, I got a couple of responses here. 
Number one, I could say, that's new life, you know, because God, worship service, thing broke through, dead, back to life. I thought, oh, that's a good response. Maybe I should use that. Then I thought, what happens if those leaves die, fall off? Oh, that could be devastating. I thought, no, that's not going to that's not going to work. So, so I thought, well, what else could I do? Uh, man, I was running. I just roadblock after roadblock. And so the most brilliant thing came to my mind, and I thought, this is the answer. This will help appease everything. And I just stood and I said, I have no idea. That was a good answer. And you know what they did? They're like, oh, we'll tell you, because they're spiritual people, much more spiritual than I was. They said, we'll tell you what this is, Pastor. They're like, God's given us new life. You know that worship service we had on Sunday? He broke that dead out, broke that dead away, and now we're living again. We're in revival, Pastor. That's what this means. This church is in revival. Yeah. And uh, we, we had revival with that tree for like two more weeks, and those leaves turned brown and fell off and died. And uh, every Sunday morning, I'd go down and vacuum the dead leaves up. Like, you dumb tree. <laughs> vacuum those leaves up. Why did I even tell you that story? I don't even know. That took me forever to tell, by the way. That's what happens when you get to telling stories. This is getting longer and longer every time you tell them. So there we were. Winds had blown. Depression, heartache, heaviness. And, and we stepped into revival. And from that moment on, we never had one problem. And from that moment on, everything went perfect. We built 12 buildings. The church grew to 4,000 people. We had miracles, signs, and wonders. We had dead people. They, they were just bringing people from the morgue and just bringing them to the church, dead people. And we were just walking by and waving at them. And they were raising up from the dead. It was just incredible what God was doing in that church. That's all of it's a lie. No, no, it, all of it's true up until that last portion where we built 12 buildings and had no problems. That, that's not true. Because let me tell you what happened. The enemy came against us again. And the enemy attacked us again. And we had people that would leave the church. But then we had people that would come to church. And we had people that would get angry and walk out. But then we had people that would come in and say, I've been praying for something like this all my life. I didn't know churches like this existed. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say the wind's blowing. And sometimes it's judgment. And sometimes it's temptation. And sometimes it's confusion. And sometimes it's mercy. But the wind's always blowing. But here's what you can't do. You can't ever think that you can manufacture the wind. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. It doesn't matter how much ability you've got. Don't ever think I can control the wind. I can push the wind here. I can push it there. I can bring it over here. Because let me tell you what your ministry has to rest in. It has to rest in the hand of God. You better make sure you're prayed up. And you better make sure your heart is right. And you better make sure you've surrendered at an altar of repentance. Every day you surrender. And you need to say, God, use me. And when you walk home to your church this summer, or if you go on an internship, don't you dare walk into that church and say, I've got the answers because I'm from Indiana Bible College. I'm going to help you this summer. Oh, I, I, Pastor, you've been praying, and I'm here. Is it going to happen? No, no, no. You know what you do? You walk in trusting God every step that you make. You walk in saying, God, I just need a move of the Spirit. God, we need the Holy Ghost to be poured out. God, we want the wind to blow. Not going to manufacture anything, God. 
Doesn't matter what songs I choose, just lead me down that path. God, I, I don't even know what, what sermon I'm going to preach. Uh, uh, is there another book I can read? Is there something really fun or really interesting or, or makes me look really smart? No, you just get in that word and you pray. And it doesn't matter what God gives you. You've got to have a word. And you've got to walk to that pulpit with some anointing. And you've got to walk to that pulpit prayed up. And you better walk to that pulpit when you lead worship. And you just better follow after the Holy Ghost. And if God wants you to change your set in the middle, you change your set in the middle. But what you need more than anything else is we need the winds of Pentecost to blow again. We need to say, God, I release you in my life. I release you in this place. I'm not trying to control anything. I'm not going to manipulate anyone. I'm not going to push anything to happen. God, I need you. I want everyone to stand. I want you to lift your hands right now. What we need, we need a fresh baptism of the anointing. That's what we need. You know what we need? We need God to pour out His Spirit on us one more time. You know what we need? We need to have no answers, no solutions. It's not intellect. It's not what I bring. It's not my talent. But God, what I need, I need more of You. Come on, we need more of the anointing more of his spirit we need his supernatural strength we need to walk into our churches and we need to bring Jesus with us we need to walk into our worship program our music program we need to bring Jesus with us we need to see our youth group present them Jesus and them crucified what I want. I want us to make some room. I know some of you responded, but I want every senior to step out. I want you to come to the front. I know I preached too long. I've kept you here too long. Please forgive me. I want every senior. I want you to come to the front. For four years, you've been investing and poured into. For four years, I don't know who you could say or who you could point to outside of God. But for four years, you could probably say, yes, that individual made an impact on me. So-and-so made an impact on me. So and so, they've invested in me. There's probably many people you could name. Come on, come close. I want you seniors to come close. If you're walking out and you've had four years of education, investment, training, you're talented, you're capable, you know what to do, and you know how to do it. Here's what else you know how to do you know how to pray, you know how to worship, you know how to fast presence of the Lord some of you there's a great anointing on your life you can see it and feel it some of you have a very clear direction of where you're going you know how God's going to just orchestrate it you've got it all laid out good for you probably most of you have no idea you're like God doesn't do it <laughs> I'm probably going to be homeless <laughs> tell you something. You know what you need? You just need the wind to blow. <laughs> you know what you need? You just need the Holy Ghost to move in your life. You know what you need? You need God to remove all fear and worry. Get trepidation out. To get anxiety away from you. Come on, you just need the Holy Ghost to move because God's already got your plan figured out. He just hadn't told you because you can't handle it. But God's going to set you forth on a journey and the wind's going to blow again. 
and the Spirit is going to move. And God's going to open every door that you need open. And God will close every door that you want shut. I want you right now to lift your hands. I want you to begin to call out on the name of Jesus. Come on, some of you others, I want you to begin to join them. Because some of you, though you're not graduating, you're in the same boat that they are. You don't know what's going to happen this summer. You don't know where you're going or what God's going to do. But you do know this, I need God to do something. Come on, before we walk out of this chapel service, let the Spirit of God move one more time. Let the Holy Ghost be poured out. Let God remove fear. Come on, that's it in the name.